the Art of Leadership Network. Churches didn't get off the ground or, or they weren't what they had hoped. And you told these to me and it hit me. Number one, it's like you have a church planter that's planting for the wrong reason. Number two is that in a place like the Bay Area, people literally don't raise enough money. Um, but number three, a big one was either people had no team or they had the wrong team. Well, hey, everybody, I'm here with Ben Pilgreen, the lead pastor of Epic Church in San Francisco. Ben, good to be with you. Thanks for having me on, man. It is fun to take uh, all the private conversations we've had public. Well, you know, at least most of the conversations we can take public. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, for everybody that's listening, Ben and I have probably had, you know, several hundred hours worth of conversations about church planting over the years. Uh, our friendship first started uh, late, I believe it was 2009 or 2008. Yeah, in uh, November 2008 was the first time I, I called you. Yeah, and you guys were processing the call to plant a church in San Francisco. Stacy and I were uh, down in the south part of the Bay at the time. And uh, here we are, all these years later. We have seen a lot and, and, uh, and done a lot. And to your point, uh, we've had lots of conversations. Uh, we've had double dates. We've done study breaks together. And yeah, good times. Yeah. Now, for all of our uh, friends who are listening who are not super familiar with the Epic story, tell us a little bit about the, the church you planted, what part of San Francisco you guys are in, and you know, the significant stuff that'd be good for everybody to know. Yeah, no, thanks so much. And let me just say to you, Andy, and I've told Andy this privately, Andy really was about the first call that I had when I thought we were coming to the Bay Area. And uh, yeah, you were there. Like we we were hanging out. Literally, I was. we were on our way to have a dinner at your house. And uh, we had just pulled off on uh, Highway 101, which is the highway between San Francisco and San Jose. And the six of us who were in our car at the time, we were surprised, but convinced that not only was it crazy that God was calling us to the Bay Area, that that seemed wild enough, but we felt convinced just from that trip that we were supposed to be in the city of San Francisco and specifically in downtown San Francisco, which if somebody said that today, I'd be like, that sounds so crazy. But um, here we are. That was January 2009. Uh, we moved to San Francisco in May of 2010, and our church got started in February 2011, which was uh, two years to the same weekend after, Andy, you guys had planted uh, Echo Church. So, yeah, I mean, that's the short the short story and how we got here. But, we, yeah, we're, we have been in this same uh, downtown San Francisco neighborhood called Soma, which stands for South of Market, and, and we've had— Three facilities. We're headed into our fourth, hopefully in a year or so. Um, but we've been in the same neighborhood the whole time. That's awesome, man. Yeah, and the so for context, when you guys came in January of that year, I think that was the week. Was that the same week that uh, President Obama was uh, became the president? Yes, his inauguration was that week. And and to be honest, we had four days. And if a lot of church planners listening. You know, it's kind of like marriage advice. My wife and I only dated uh, a few months before we got engaged. I don't know that that's wise, but it's worked for us. Um, we wrote a prayer guide for 50 days. On day 50, we flew out to the Bay Area. 
we could afford four nights and we asked God over those four days to tell us where should we where should we start this church? And so the day in San Francisco was supposed to be the tourist day. We were there in front of City Hall. They had the big screens up where Obama was being inaugurated. And um, lo and behold, surprising to us, it, it was like, no, the city is where we're supposed to come to. That's awesome. Well, I know that there are some stories on that four nights that probably uh, you guys had one hotel room and you made it work for a whole crew. And uh, that's another story we'll save for another conversation. Yes, another God podcast. uses all kinds of things whenever you're starting to, uh, to delve into church planning. Yeah. So uh, Ben, you know, planting a church in, uh, there's a lot of different words that people use, but like post-Christian, urban, uh, highly unreached, very socioeconomically, culturally diverse area. Uh, one of the you know, hardest places, I would say, in, in the country to plant a church in the United States and maybe one of the harder places of the world to plant a church. But you guys, you guys are still rolling. You're still growing. Uh, talk a little bit about that decision and maybe some of the things that are unique opportunities and then challenges of planting a church in uh, the context that you guys have. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great way that you pose the question. I think a lot of the opportunity and challenges are connected. I would say like the most fun thing about pastoring Epic Church in downtown San Francisco is how diverse it is. And one of the most challenging things about plant, you know, leading our church is how diverse it is. And I mean, in a few different ways. So it's it's been cool to see the church become multi-generational. But there are over 60 nations represented at Epic. Like uh, That's a fact. And what's also a fact is that every Sunday, I mean, dude, there are people uh, that are absolutely homeless and there are others um, in our congregation that are literally worth hundreds of millions of dollars and trying to speak into like that is, uh, is super fun and, and really, really challenging as well. I, I think part of the you know, there's been a lot written about San Francisco in the last year. Um, but even when we got here, a few of the things that were just really challenging that people may not know is like, it's probably as expensive as anywhere in the U.S. It tends to be a back and forth. And obviously that's true for a lot of the Bay Area, but it tends to be kind of back and forth between Manhattan and New York City and San Francisco as far as which is more expensive. So you have that. Um, you, our kids, at least for public school, they don't go to school based on where we live. So that's a challenge. There are less kids per capita in this city than anywhere in the U.S. So 13% of the population is 18 and under, making it the less, uh, the least amount of kids, uh, you know, per 100 citizens of any of any city in the U.S. So there are real challenges and the expense. I mean, you, you're aware of these numbers, but if I told uh, our listeners how much we're paying to be in a basement of 11,000 square feet, uh, they they might they might pull their cars into something they don't need to while they're driving. Yeah. And at the same time, you guys have come up with solutions and uh, figured out how to work through a lot of those barriers. And like you said, not even uh, allowed your mindset to be that this is a barrier, but to see it more as an opportunity. Who would you say um, influenced your thinking in terms of the city? Like I know you have you know, we had we had a lot of conversations because we were Bay Area, but there are also 100%. other people that really, because our context in the South Bay when we planted was very different. Yeah. Um, who are some of the city folks that really helped you and your thinking? 
Yeah, and I think early on from a distance, I I, I have met I met him before he passed away, but never had too many conversations with with Tim Keller. But a lot of his stuff, you know, before it was a textbook, Redeemer had like a church planting manual, and and that I got I got that in the mail, and uh, and and that was really helpful. And then um, I would say over the years, a few people, a couple of guys that that you know well too in, in Washington, D.C., uh, Mark Batterson and our, is a mutual friend of ours and Aaron Graham, another mutual friend of ours. So those guys, Mark is, you know, they probably are, their church is twice as old as ours is. And what he's done with like mission stuff in Washington, D.C. at National Community Church, what they've done with real estate. Um, so he's he's been super helpful uh, in, in that way, Aaron Graham, their church started about the same time we did. And, and me, you, Aaron, and, and a number of other guys, um, are, are part of a, a, a network where we get to talk about the stuff all the time. So he's, he's been really helpful. John Tyson from New York city has been helpful, but, but you're right. I, I think you have helped me a ton in terms of systems, team, gosh, fundraising. You've, I mean, you know, this, you've helped me as much as anyone, but on the city there, there's not, there's, there's not a lot of people that can relate. You know, when other people come in, they're like, you've got to have X amount of parking spaces. I'm like, no, we just need to know is there a parking garage close by? And, and <laughs> we give $10 cash to everyone who parks at Epic on a Sunday when they show us their ticket. So it's, uh, you know. How, ma- how many people actually take uh, take you up on that offer? It's a pretty good bid. It, it will, I mean, a pretty good bid to us. It, it will be kind of like 10% of, of a Sunday attendance. So right now, you know, we're still building back up from COVID. But if there's 600 people on a Sunday, probably about 60 people, which will equal 600 bucks a Sunday just for just reimbursement for parking. Wow. So I have a lot of questions about, you know, how that how that all works. And if you're able to um, see, are the like are those more your engaged people, or are those more new people, or are those the same people? It surprises. That- I mean, just us talking here. Well, I guess we're talking to more than just us, but um, it's surprising, you know, when you're like, oh, I'm, I, I wouldn't have thought that millionaire needs this ten dollars for his <laughs> for his parking ticket today. Um, but a lot of people, you know, a lot of people don't take it. So obviously, we don't know. We only know the numbers of, of people who do take it. But it, you know, it's just it's just very interesting. Um, I'm sure we'll talk about a new building that we purchased. Uh, but someone asked me the other day, like, how, how much parking do you guys have with this? And I was like, well, we three, three spot, three spots came with the building, but we have to put a sidewalk there. So we will literally have zero parking spots that belong to our church. And that's a hundred percent the truth. Yeah. And that you find like for other people that you talk to in cities, that's very similar, right? I mean, it like- is. It, it, it is. And again, we have people who come in from other places outside of San Francisco. And thanks be to God, we've actually reached a higher proportion of families. Um, like there, there's a higher percentage. So 13% would, you know, be the San Francisco number, but, but we're reaching a higher percentage of our population, even though it's nothing like the suburbs, it, but a higher percentage of our population is families than than the city makeup. So, th- so we do we do need to find to find deals for uh, parking for the next whatever that next you know building's parking is going to look like. Yeah. Well, what would be some things in an urban context that you have to do differently uh, in terms of like, well, this we tried this and it really didn't go the way we thought it would. Yeah, I think some of it's, 
you know, just setting expectations. And a lot of this, you know, you don't, everybody's, wherever you are leading a church, whatever you're going to plant a church, you know, you've got local calendar stuff you need to work through. But but here, and especially in the neighborhood we're in, you've got to know like when when are the races, when are the parades. Our new building, True Story, is two blocks from Oracle Park where the San Francisco Giants play baseball. And so we know that there are 14 home games on Sundays a year. They don't start till one o'clock, but so parking on, so on those days, I'm assuming like those will probably be low attendance, but high marketing days. Like that's really how I'm thinking about it. You know, 20,000 people may walk by our building, but, but you know, half our normal people may, may be able to get into or want to get into, you know, especially the late service. So I, I think I'm thinking about those kinds of things. I'm thinking, you know, here, not only is it expensive, but it's very transient. So people, you try to give them a vision to stay for, but, uh, you know, the average before COVID, we would lose about 25% of our church a year. So I think the challenge of you've got great leaders and then, you know, on Sundays they're like, hey, we're moving to Austin or, you know, Orange County for whatever reason they want to do something like that. Sunshine, extra space. I don't know. Um, so I, I think I think the transits, it, it's, it's, I mean, I think it gives me confidence in what God has done and is doing. Even telling you right now, like on this live conversation, you think about the expense of, you know, the turnover every year. It's not ideal for families. Like it really does. You step back, you go like, it, it might take, a, it, it really, this takes a miracle to, to make it happen. Mm-hmm. But thankfully God is into that business. Yeah, that's really good. Now, you know, one thing I'd, I'd love to hear you unpack is when like when we look back on the number of planters because there's people on this uh, you know listening to this that maybe are sensing a call to go somewhere and not everybody who goes to plant a church in another region does it work out for them. Yeah. What do you think are some of the distinctives and and how you guys have approached that has led to longevity and sustained fruitfulness? Yeah, I think first of all, like if you're going to go into a context and this is nothing like what I grew up in or had ever lived in, I think you have to decide, will, I think there's two things and they're they're like different sides of the same coin. But I think number one is, well, I stay true to who God's made me to be. I think that's significant. But the other side is, will I really be a learner in this new place? And will I be humble enough, confident in what God's called me to, but will I be humble enough to stay a learner, to be able to speak into this language. And, you know, a few things where San Francisco fits my personality. I, I hate sitting still. I like new stuff. I love business and things that start. So it fits my personality. But, you know, I had a year and a half from that January trip till we moved. And coming out here probably eight or nine times, and certainly you and I would get together during some of those times, I think that helped me get acclimated. And I will say this, and you know, you and I are both fortunate. Um, not only do we have a great close friendship, but our wives have a close friendship. I don't, I don't think you, I, wherever you go, you need a spouse that's on board with what you're doing. But I do think there are places where the ramifications and implications are going to be more drastic um, if they're not on board. So I would say like, don't, I wouldn't say yes to a place like this if your spouse, I wouldn't say yes, probably any place if my spouse isn't on board, but it's hard enough 
having a spouse who is a hundred percent on board. So, so I say that my marriage to Shauna and who she is and, and her posture, like she wasn't afraid of this. She wasn't um, being reactive. She decided when we moved here, as I'm getting the church going, she's going to try to try this initiative to get our family rooted in this new place and to live on mission. And, uh, you know, that that's huge. Getting the right team is significant. Uh, gosh, I mean, our city is very transient, but Will, Maraza, and Lindsay Lee, they're, they're the two people that kind of my right and left hand people here at Epic. And um, they have both been in the church from day one. And, you know, the church is 12 and a half years old. So um, I think having stability in a team is good for the church, but I think it's also good for for me personally. And, you know, I've, and I've seen you demonstrate this, but having, yeah, having like working with people who are great friends, there's some maturity you, you have to have with that. What hat am I wearing? Like, hey, I know we went on a double date last night, but you need to get your job done today. You know, so you, you right. have to be comfortable yeah. with that. So I think, I think those things and rhythms, um, having great mentors, uh, and you're, it's, it's bizarre. It takes so much to launch a church, but you have to have a life outside of the church. And so whether it's friendships like you and I have had that have sustained us or, or you and I being able to be honest on the phone call and say, hey, this season's not a lot of fun, but I'm not giving up. I, I think those, yeah, I think team, rhythms, who you're married to, if you're married, friendships, it's good. Yeah. And on the note about Shauna, you know, she, she really is one of the best examples of this in terms of how she engaged the city and she, you know, did activities with, with the kids that actually has turned into two books, right? Yes. Um, to do a little plug right here. She's written two great yeah, books. So her real passion and giftedness is in like neighboring and mission and evangelism. So um, her first book, uh, Love Where You Live was very much like a neighbor, neighboring book. And her second book is uh, super exciting. It releases August 15th this year, 2023. Yeah, so to, when this comes out, it'll already be released, which is That's great. awesome. So yeah, it's called Translating Jesus. Basically, how do you share your faith in a way that culture can understand? And uh, yeah, and you know, she now works for Alpha USA full-time as kind of, she oversees all of Northern California for Alpha, which is you know, quite a region to do that with. And, and it's using all the gifts that, that God's given her. So it's cool to see. And, and you know, one other thing that you, you've probably taught me, but there, there's no invention in the history of the world that's better than compound interest. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. if somebody said, Ben, apart from God's favor and blessing and the Holy Spirit, I think it's like you show up today and you do, you move it forward a little bit or a lot, and then you do it tomorrow. And after 10 years, there's a lot, of fruit and there's harvest and you know you you somehow make it through covid after 68 weeks of being shut down here in this city and and you just if you don't give up there's a lot of you know it's that galatians 6 9 if we don't give up there's a there is a harvest at some point and and Mm -hmm. i think we're we're in a season where we're seeing that with opportunities with impact um and i think too being honest i don't know if this will affect anyone else but i to plan a church you you need to you need to, if you're walking away from something that's maybe a little more established and prominent, you need to be honest about what you're walking away from and, and I think grieve it. So like, you know, we, yeah, we were walking away from sort of a mega church world and, and I had to wrestle with the reality, like, do I, and, and my answer to this is yes, but do I think the call on my life is to, 
maybe lead a church of a f- several hundred people in an influential place like this, I feel like for me, that was the most effective way for me to use the things that God's given me and the people that I'm in conversation with. It's not because I'm a mega church pastor. I'm not and, and may never be, but it's, it's uh, I'm, I'm literally kind of sitting at the private wisdom table of people that are, that are publicly shaping our world in, in pretty wild ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the, the other thing that I think is worth unpacking is like, so you're, you're in this like unique world where you've got to figure out, okay, what, how do I need to take some of baseline strategies that might work in more of a suburban context? Do you know, what do I adopt? What do I change? What, what don't I even touch and do? But within that is like, you know, sometimes you'll hear things like, well, that will never work here. Yeah. And so I'd love for you to talk about what are some of the things that maybe somebody who's in a different context might think, oh, that'll never work here, but it also worked, it also worked in an urban context. Yeah. I mean, I think there's a lot of those things um, that you think, and you know, you've, you've got to be, I'm always asking myself, like, where do we, where do we accept those cult, like those assumptions or cultural realities or something a city might impose and, and where do we challenge against it? So I'm thinking about that a lot. So like one of the things I would say is, um, and maybe it works better because of this, like, you know, obviously almost any church, you know, people like students might go on retreats or college students or, you know, high school. Um, so one of the things that we tried before COVID and, and are just about to get back to is like, um, doing a church-wide retreat. You may think that won't work. Well, I think because people are constantly in what we call the concrete jungle here in San Francisco, I think it actually causes something like a retreat setting to work even better because it's rather than saying, oh, we're not used to this. It's true. I think that's the reason why that might even work better in a context, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, like we're in. I think that would be an example of one, um, while also being sent, one of the things that's challenging about being in downtown is, you know, traffic is no big deal on most Sundays unless it's a race or ball game or something. But to do, like, we will do things on weeknights, um, but we just know it's really, really hard for people to get down here. And so, so you try to think, you know, when, when we move to this new building, we will look at the baseball schedule and, and probably won't plan events during that time. Yeah. You know, yeah. because it, so that's a, that's a place where we're like, hey, this is just what it is. Why would we try to have a huge event when, you know, nobody can can get here if they don't spend expensive Uber money because, you know, the the surcharge goes way up when there's a, a home baseball game. Yeah, yeah. There, You know, two other things that stick out that I've seen, Alpha has been a big thing for you guys. And then uh, some of the stuff that you've done to work with people, like empower people in the workplace. Yeah. Um, talk about both of those. Cause I think that th- those are super helpful. Yeah. Well, again, you know, I don't believe in alpha just because they're paying Shauna to do her job, although I'm thankful for that. Um, I, I would say another place, and you and I have talked about this, uh, outside the U S that we've learned about how to lead in this urban setting is, um, with our friends over in London. I know that you've been there a couple of times as well. And, and we have, and in fact, I feel like, I don't know, maybe it's the accent, but I feel like God speaks to me, um, clearly over over there. And so we try to get there once a year. But, um, you know, Alpha coming out of the city of London but from HTB Church there, 
seeing that it works in that kind of secular post-Christian context, we really latched onto it. And, and it's been incredible. And now what we're seeing in our church is people run alpha. Like so we did a Tuesday night in, in person, Tuesday night online. And then last year we added languages. So we did it in Korean, Spanish, and uh, Mandarin. Uh, so, so that's been effective. And then we're going to turn it this fall into outreach. So there are people in our church that are taking Alpha to their apartment complexes, uh, to their workplaces, which we'll talk about in a second, and uh, and to kind of third spaces, coffee shops, places like that, um, for people who might not come to church. So we're seeing that take off in a huge way. And I think where the conversation comes together is Shauna has uh, people in Northern California, a number of whom are in our church, that are starting to run Alpha at their workplaces. And this is a passion of mine. One of Epic's values is that vocation is sacred. And so we're constantly trying to pour into people in that work vocation space. Some of how we've done that is, you know, Alpha is running at Google, getting them ready to perhaps run at Apple and Salesforce, large companies out here. And, and then also almost having like getting people to be seen as like chaplains in, in, in their departments of these massive companies or, or in their companies. So I think that's, that's been a passion. And um, I, I do feel like God's given me unique opportunities to, to speak into people who are literally like shaping Silicon Valley and, and uh, the technology that, that every one of us who are listening right now um, are, are utilizing now and, and will in the future. So mm-hmm. I, I think Alpha, is, it's done well, and um, it, it really is asking the questions that, that people resonate with, maybe even before they get involved in church. Yeah, yeah, that's really good, man. We, we saw so many people come to faith through Alpha. Here, since we've come to Saddleback, we run it some. I do think that there's, there's something about that unique kind of urban context that is a bit more eclectic, you know, mm-hmm. than maybe the suburbs would be. Um, or a suburban context would be that allows it, it just hits a unique um, angle that people are processing. Uh, so l- let's just say if somebody is interested in getting more info, I don't I don't even know the website. Is it like Run Alpha or something like that? Yeah, I think it's just RunAlpha.org. Yeah, so we're neither of us, you know, really have any skin in the game other than wanting to help church planters. So that that's yeah. a great resource. The other thing I I think is worth just practically. You know, some of this I, I, I want to pull out because it's a great example of how you've read the culture in San Francisco. So like what you've done where you've taken, you know, empowering people in the business world, this whole bring it out concept that you you then took it and made it kind of this initiative for empowering people, turned it into a podcast uh, out of reading your culture. So talk about that as well. Yeah, I think we haven't even gotten to the main subject that we're supposed to talk about, but these are all <laughs> these are all good things. You know, you know this like a lot of things you don't see until you look back. And and if anyone out there is feeling like, man, am I up for the task of going to whatever city and starting a church? I mean, probably not, at least in some ways. Um one of the things I ask in the bring it out content is like what is in your story that should keep you humble? And for me, I was a, my freshman year of college, I was a business major, majoring in marketing, and I took an introduction to public speaking class. And I was so terrified of giving that speech that I didn't go to class. 
like I never went back to that class. I, I, I dropped that class. I had to leave the, the business school. Um, and so it's hilarious to me that two of the prominent ways God using me is in public speaking and with business leaders. So like, I, I don't ever forget that. And yet he's given me this passion and maybe some wisdom and favor. And part of what, you know, this, like part of making sure that when we're interacting with anyone, that it, it's not just about our thing. And so I know you and I'll talk about this uh, on, on my podcast, hopefully in a, in a little bit, but you're just like, you're the best question asker that I know. And so I've learned a lot about that. And, and if you stay curious, everybody loves to talk about what everybody loves, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think one of the things, but I genuinely love, like, tell me how you started your company. And, and I'm also, you know, you're, you're not wanting to be a people pleaser, but I want the entrepreneur or venture capitalist sitting in our auditorium while I'm teaching, I want them to feel like I'm aware of who they are, the questions they're asking, the interests that they have. And so, I, yeah, I have tried to, I have tried to do that. And, you know, again, it takes a while to build trust with these individuals, but when you have that trust, I mean, some of these people are, and they're shaping things in terms of politics and obviously technology and business. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of wealth decisions that they're coming into. And these, a lot of these are people who didn't have these prominent roles when that trust developed. And so now, you know, that's like now they have less people they can trust. But but myself or others like me, they 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 think they have a safe place in that. And so, uh, yeah, I think just you just steward who you've been given, what you've been given and, uh, and, you know, you don't waste those chips that you earn with people's trust. Yeah. Yeah. You've done such a fantastic job. And I think, you know, for every church planter out there that's listening, the, the thing that I've just been uh, encouraged and challenged by is just your consistency to shepherd some of these leaders, but to do it, you know, from a place that's not really after anything, you're not trying to get anything from them. You're just loving on them. Uh, so yeah, I love your I love what you're doing with that intentionality to invest in business leaders. Your podcast with Bring It Out, the Bring It Out podcast. Um, I I do feel like there's a lot of subjects that I could I could continue to pull out of you because you're you've been a fantastic church planter. You've done it faithfully over the long haul. You've you've loved your kids well. You've invested in your marriage. You have a great marriage. Your kids, you know, your kids love Jesus. You're, there's so many great things. The subject I did want to spend just a few minutes on before we wrap up our time together is, you know, when you think about the team that you built, that you brought with you, a lot of church planters start without a team and they pay the price for that. So talk about what did you, what were you looking for in that, that small group of people that you brought together to come to the Bay Area to plant with you? Yeah, I mean, that's a, Great question. Again, I think you helped me out with, you know, you, you guys, I think if, if I remember the story right, you had interviewed people in your area whose churches didn't get off the ground or, or they weren't what they had hoped. And you told these to me and it hit me. Number one, it's like you have a church planter that's planting for the wrong reason. Number two is that in a place like the Bay Area, people literally don't raise enough money um, but number three, a big one was either people had no team or they had the wrong team. So I knew a new team was important from the beginning. And if people ask me today what the secret weapon is, 
next to God's spirit moving in our church. Like I do think it's our team. I've delegated a lot of my job, stuff I used to do in the early days of starting Epic, I don't do anymore. But in terms of overseeing and developing and pouring into our team, uh, I'm not the only one who does that, but that's one of those I don't think I'll ever give away because I do think it's the secret sauce for the health and stability and a lot of the blessing that's come come from our church. When we started uh, the church, there were three other staff members and my background was in college ministry. So what's, what's interesting about those three that they had in common, um, one was uh, a friend of mine from college uh, and the other two were former college students in the college ministries that we had led. And I knew they had a similar vision for ministry, maybe because I shaped them when they were 18 or 19 years old. And I knew that, you know, I'll say this, Andy, more important than even where we ended up moving to plant the church. Now, I wouldn't have moved anywhere with this team, but I think the team was even more important to me than than the geographic location. And because I believed in them, I I gave them like say-so and where they felt like God was leading us. You know, in the beginning, you do need some skill sets. Like obviously, if you're going to do music, you probably need a musician, uh, someone who can sing. But otherwise, in those early days, for me, it was getting people who I knew could get stuff done. And my commitment was to pour into them, to try to bring health to our team, to invest in them. Shauna helped me with that. Yeah, but I, I really needed people who, who, you know, I know Andy Stanley talks about hiring doers more than thinkers. And I totally, that was, that was how we got stuff done. And in the beginning, our worship leader, he was also a pharmacist. So he really did just music for Epic. And, and then he was a full-time pharmacist. So Tim and Lindsay, who helped, uh, who helped me start the church, we just essentially put one of our names in every, like it had to be one of our three names in every box outside of music that the church did. And, you know, Lindsay was overseeing kids, not because she was amazing at kids, but I knew she could lead and build teams. And at some point in time, we could release her from that as we got the right kids person in and could afford it. And, uh, and Tim was just great at getting stuff done. And it, it freed me up even in the beginning to kind of stay big picture with, you know, teaching, uh, culture, raising funds, finding facilities, all that. Yeah. Y- you know, one of the things, Ben, that, so I, like if I could count the number of conversations I've had with church planters on this one topic, it's in certainly hundreds of conversations. What I find to be really hard is people will say, well, where, you know, where do you find people like that? Or where do you, where do you get them? And the truth is, I, I think that those people are everywhere. Like, I, yeah. I don't, I, I think, you know, G- Jesus found the disciples and, you know, perhaps they were like the 10 or 11 most leaving Judas out, like the, the most select people in all of Israel. That's good. But I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if that's really the case. I think Jesus yeah. found some hungry people that were teachable and they, they followed him. But if you're not followable, you, you're not going to build a team. Yeah. And so I think what happens is yeah. sometimes church planters go to pull on that. Like, Oh, I, I want to put together a team but I don't have anybody that really wants to move across the country or move across town or come with me to plant. And that's a really hard thing to, you know, it's like 
at that point, yeah. what, what can we do? You know, if you, so talk about all, what would you say to somebody that maybe will plant in the next year, but they don't know who those people are. What are the things they should be doing now to be in position to, you know, pull, pull together a team other than valuing team? Yeah. What, what are the key things? Yeah. I mean, even to pull it back just a second, I, you know, a lot of times people say, well, <laughs> you've heard this, I'm sure. Like, hey, if I had a team like you, then we would be seeing the same kind of thing in my church. Or if I had the facility you had, or if I had the fundraising yeah. results that you had. So those three things. And I think they see those as disparate things. And this is this is tough, but I, I want to say it and then, and then try to provide hope. But a lot of times, um, if you don't have anyone who wants to follow you and be on your team and, you know, you don't have anyone who knows you that believes in the vision enough to resource it in some way, then it's like, okay, we probably have to ask if we've been at this at all, like for a while, we've got to ask like, why, to your point, like, why am I not followable? Like, what am I missing here? And again, maybe you're 23 and you, God's called you to plant a church and you just, you just don't know anyone. Maybe you buy a little bit of time to try to, I think to like try to develop people. You know, mm -hmm. think about this. What are the chances that someone you don't know today is going to follow you and join the team if the people that know you don't want to join your team? So I, I, I wonder if, I mean, I, again, I, I don't want to sound harsh, but I, I wonder if there's a step, is, is there, have you discerned correctly? Is there something off? I don't think this is an introvert extrovert conversation. Um, right. Yeah, I know I'm throwing. I know you're the you're the host, but what what are your thoughts on the question you gave me? Because I, you know, depending on who was sitting in my office where I'm sitting right now and was talking to me about this, I would at least want to know. And there could be really good answers to this question, but hey, why isn't anyone either coming to my mind to join my team, or why isn't anyone open and desiring to join my team? Yeah, yeah. I I think the thing that I just come back to over and over and over again is that this line that every time God has a what, he starts first with a who. Yeah, that's great. So God, every one of God's visions, like when you look at the Bible, every every time God wanted to do something, he he found a who, and then the who put together a team of people. You know, that's a great word. Uh, uh, just over and over and over and over again. And so that's just the way God does things. If you, if a, if somebody is, I, I think that the the most important skill or heart attitude, or I mean, it's it's head, heart, and hands all together. You can't on this one. I don't think you can separate it. That is, do I to the core of who I am believe that it takes a team to get a vision accomplished, and do I genuinely? care about those people and want to see them succeed? And do I count one of my greatest contributions to the kingdom of God, not just what I get done, but who I develop? Yes. And do I literally believe that to the core of who I am so much that it influences my calendar and what I give my life to? And the yeah. earlier in ministry you can embrace that mindset, I think the more fruitful you'll be. And then later on, the more people you'll have that that want to be a part of your team. But if you don't, if you don't have that, like back to the compound interest, I mean, this is another way to say this, the same subject, yes. 
but if you don't have the compound interest of genuine, like I, I remember when I was in college, I was in, in high school, I was discipling two, two grades below. In college, I was discipling high school students. And seminary is discipling, you know, as pouring into college oh, students. Yeah. So there was never, looking back on my journey, there's never been a, a time where I, I wasn't in directly investing in a, f- a few people. Yeah. And so I think that you don't, not all of those become staff members, but some of them do. And whatever the top of the funnel is in terms of your life being invested, there's going to be a bottom of the funnel that that's where that team is going to come from. Yeah. And, and just to further that one, I've only hired three people our whole 12 years that weren't first just in our church, you know? So that's yeah. another one. It's like, it, it, not only do you need to, you know, church planner, you don't just need to be good at raising funds for the next three years <laughs> or building or building a team for, for the launch. You like, this is, these are skills that, that, that you will need for the, the entirety of the journey. And um, it's not too late to make things right, to get people who do know you well and say, hey, is, what, what do you think the reason is that people don't want to get on board? Now, it could be really good reasons, but you at least deserve to know that and then begin to, you know, um, maybe structure your life in a way that, uh, and, and to your point, Andy, maybe it's just you need to start believing more that it's going to take a team. And then you just kind of put your team goggles on everywhere you go. Yeah. Yeah. Like make a list. Hey, this make who would be great teammates? So the people you know. You know, and then start so, start having those conversations. Yeah, you know, it's funny is um one of the thoughts that uh so here at Saddleback, like, you know, my my computer, of course, with an IT system is like everything's tucked tucked into IT. So I know I know like everything I do on a computer shows up on IT. Yes. And I, I had the the thought the other day, I was like, you know, if if our IT department saw how little time I spend on my computer, like if they actually analyzed it, they would probably be like, what, what does this guy do? Um, mm. And the, the, the thing that I was thinking about, and I, like just looking back at my, my week, how much of, you know, I spend a lot of time writing my sermons and journals and, you know, I, I use Google Docs, but there, there are days where I... I won't open my computer because I'm, I'm other than my message prep time, I'm with people the whole yeah, day. Right. And th- the same is true. It, it was true when we were yeah. planting. It was true when I was in college. So I just, I, I feel like I'm on a, uh, something that we're both passionate about. I know yeah. Mike and Mike Hickerson and I talked about this in the last episode and broke it down more, but I just, I, I think you've done a great job investing in people. I think great leaders invest in in people, and it's just the it's at the core of church planting. Yeah, so. I'm with you, and this is the stuff that will really determine. Yeah, what's ahead? I mean, I, I think you're mm-hmm. right. There's a lot that goes into the church planting, but yeah, if you don't value team, and if you can't build a team, it's going to be lonely. It's going to be limiting. And, uh, yeah, I think our encouragement to everyone listening is, um, just start building a team in some way, especially if you're not on the brink of, you know, planting church. Like if you have a role in your church, build volunteer teams, just do, do something because A, it'll be great practice, but B, this needs to become 
just like second nature to, mm-hmm. to care about people, to develop people, and, and then to invite them into, you know, the God-sized mission that you have on your heart. So good, man. Okay. Before we wrap up, let's banter back and forth resources on this. Okay. So let's holler out as many as we can or run down the list of as many as we can. Let's see if we can get like four or five good resources on this particular subject that we've just camped on. And I can't remember if I did this last podcast, but um, so if it's duplication, no worries. I'll go with the ideal team player from Lincioni. Yep. Um, and really anything that guy has done. <laughs> every, yeah, all of his stuff. Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Who Then What by Sullivan is another one that's a really I'll, good one. I'll go with the, uh, the Synergist and Predictable Success from Les McCune. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that you got me. I, I mean, I obviously. Good to great, to, too, man. I'll just keep it rolling. Good, yeah, good to great. Um, the, the Motive by Lencioni is another really yes. good one on this. What else do we have? The Bible. Uh, I think Multipliers was good by... Um, yeah, Multipliers by Liz Wiseman yep. is really good. What about Rocket Fuel? That's another good one. Yes. By I Gino Wickman. Okay, I think you've shared that that's with me. The, that's the integrator visionary concept. Oh, uh, that's right. That's right. Uh, what is that system, though? The, the uh, Traction. Traction. Traction yep. is yep. the name of the yep. system yep. by Gino Wickman. There's a lot of great... I think that the, that's the... That's those few uh lencioni's um he's got a couple podcasts um yeah one is called the table the other is called the working genius podcast that's another one both of those are really good yeah groschel's got stuff on team i think andy stanley does too on theirs perhaps um all that to say it's a big deal yes value it hey ben thanks for your time man we could talk a long time but (laughs) this has been super helpful I love you. Listen, to, to be able to have this conversation with you and uh, and to be able to shed light on, yeah, the story that God has done here in San Francisco, if we could be helpful to someone else, it's, it's a joy. Okay, tell us where to go if we want more Ben and Shauna Pilgreen and Epic Church information and where to follow you guys. Yeah, so epicsf.com is the simple website for our church. Shauna Pilgreen, that's Shauna, S-H-A-U-N-A, pilgreen.com. You can see all the things she's doing there. Her book is Translating Jesus. And I do the Bring It Out podcast. The Bring It Out book won't be available till like a year from now, but I, I plan on kicking off season three of the Bring It Out podcast with a very, very special guest who passed for Saddleback Church. So that'll release uh, in September, early September. Awesome, man. Thanks for hanging out today, Ben. So much wisdom, so much good stuff here. And... For all of our church planters, I hope that this particular podcast with Ben in the trenches uh, has blessed you and helped you get an unfair advantage in your local context. Thank you. Thank you.